Well, I'm sure you figured out in just those brief moments of me speaking, I'm recovering from a cold, so I'll apologize for that up front. Um, so you'll just have to bear with my voice. I, a few years ago, I was preaching, and I was, had been sick, and a lady in the church goes, oh, your voice sounded so great today. Can you, like, always talk like that? And I said, well, I can only do it if I have a cold, so I can make no promises. Um, but, but this week, I was thinking how as we enter into this Christmas season, how for us, it's such a fascinating time. Right? We're all kind of frantic in these moments, running after all kinds of things. People are longing after stuff. I mean, some of us, like, you know, it's just this week is how many things can we fit into one week before Christmas comes? How many things can we schedule? Maybe, maybe you're smart enough that you're easing up your schedule, but wherever you find yourself in the middle of all that's going on, right, there's no shortage of things that fill our lives. But here's the reality for most of us. Um, most of us, don't know what to do because we are feeling like we're running from one thing to the other and we wish there was something internally that provided peace. And so we're pursuing all kinds of things to fill us with something. Go to any self-help book or Google or Amazon and you'll see loads and loads of things in which people are trying to find out how they can live their best life or how they can feel like they're the best self or whatever it might be. People long for peace. In a world that feels like turmoil and it's tumultuous, in a place in which we honestly don't have control. I know lots of people like, like to think we have control, but none of us have control. Control at best is a myth. And so feeling out of control often leads people to feel like they are peaceless, like they have no peace because they have no control. So what's the solution? Is it to try to control more things, which is going to lead to more emptiness? Probably not that. I mean, I guess we could choose to never leave our homes, uh, never do anything, and, and maybe we could, you know, like, well, I can't control people's cell phones in church, which is always this fascinating thing, but we could never leave our homes because we have no control over that. Um, but for many of us, we turn to other kinds of things to try to have control over. Like, we have issues of identity, and here's what I mean by that. If I can't control things out there, then maybe I can control things in here. So, in other words, uh, then I will think about who I am being the, the most important thing. But here's how I'll define who I am, how I feel or what I do. Well, here's the problem with that. If my identity is found in what I do or how I feel, how I feel can change from day to day. It can change in seasons. Or if it's also what I do... Right? That can be taken away, or I can lose the ability to do what I used to do. So that doesn't really seem to help. So what do we just throw our hands up? Well, maybe not. Maybe we just need a greater purpose, right? Maybe if we live for something greater than ourselves, we'd find that our peace would increase if we had a greater purpose in our life. The problem for that is I can find purpose in the wrong things, right? Here's the reality, though. For every one of us, all of us, we submit ourselves to something. Now, maybe you go, I don't submit myself to anybody else. That might be true. But here's the thing. Even if we submit ourselves to ourselves and the self becomes the greatest sense of our life, you still have to submit yourself to something. And if the self is the end of our being, like it's I, who I am, my best self, and then these phrases become true, be true to yourself our greatest self, know thyself. Those are not in and of themselves bad things. However, 
we'll still find they leave us feeling empty. If the be-all, end-all of my life is who I am, if I have to find my greatest identity and purpose in myself, it's always going to be lacking. Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of love. Advent means coming or expectation or arrival. It's the four Sundays we mark out in the Christian calendar that lead up to, to Christmas. Next Sunday is Christmas. We will be gathering. And so if you have kids, bring them in their PJs. Still welcome to come as they are, right? We're happy to have it. Parents, we'd like you fully clothed. Kids can wear what they want. It's fine. PJs is great. But have you noticed how that in the season of Christmas time, often peace feels elusive? That all these things we long for, we don't know what to do, but we find ourselves over and over again wrestling with why it is we do what we do. But what if, what if our sense of identity and purpose and connection, what if those things, if they were rooted in something deeper than ourself, what if just maybe, what if maybe we could find our true identity and true purpose And what if those were only found outside of ourselves? There's this guy named Paul. He wrote much of the New Testament. Um, Paul was a guy who thought he knew who he was and what he was going to live his life for. Paul lived with a great sense of purpose. He was committed to following after God. But the problem was the God he had created was more of a caricature of the Old Testament scriptures than it was the reality of the God we find in the scriptures. And so Paul then began to follow after this God, and he pursued a life of that, and his identity was in being his follower. The problem was, eventually, Paul found himself persecuting those who were known as followers of the way or Christians. Paul persecuted them. We don't know that Paul actually killed any of them, but we know he was a part of the murdering of several people who were followers of Jesus. And then Paul had an encounter that changed everything. It changed how Paul was living, his purpose, his identity. Everything got flipped on its, on its head. And so how does someone go from living that way to living radically different than they were living before? Paul had this encounter with Jesus, and it changed everything. Paul, the one who was the persecutor of Christians, became something so other. In fact, I'd say it this way. Paul's purpose shifted from persecution to proclamation. From persecution to proclamation. Why? Because his identity was no longer found in what he had to pursue, but as in someone who pursued him. As Paul was traveling, he encountered Jesus, and it changed everything. You can read that story in the book of Acts, but we're not going to take time for it today. But we are going to read these words that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Paul never went to the church in Rome. Paul longed to visit the church in Rome, right? He wrote this before he ever went there. Um, he wanted to, to speak life into the people there who were trying to follow Jesus, and they're trying to understand, what's it look like if we commit our lives to following Jesus? What if our greatest identity is in being followers of him? What if that's true? And so Paul writes with the perspective that, that it's not like, we use this phrase in the church, like systematic theology, in other words, like a reasoned understanding of who God is. Paul's writes what's the closest thing we have in the Bible to a systematic theology, a reasoned understanding of how we understand God. And that's the book of Romans. It's incomplete in that way, because that wasn't Paul's intention, but that's the closest we get. So here's what Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says this, Paul, 
a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly identity, his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul begins with what seems like an innocent line. He says, Paul, a servant. You go, okay, well, he's going to serve Jesus. But that's honestly a really poor translation of the Greek words used there. The Greek word there is doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S, is how you would spell it. Um, but if you were to literally translate it, it means slave. So if we're to reread that line, here's what Paul says. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Paul, a slave of, and so like, wait a minute. Um, so Paul, in his freedom, says, I choose to be a slave to Jesus. Now, if that makes you uncomfortable, I get it, and, and that's probably fair, because there's no way for us to not look at human history and see times where people have been enslaved, and it's been awful. There's no way around that. But what Paul is saying this, he has no fear of being a slave to Jesus, because he knows The character and nature of God is seen in Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. And so he says, hey, unequivocally, I submit myself in such a way that I'm a slave to Jesus. He knows the very character and nature of God is love. So he has no fear in saying, hey, I will submit my whole life, my whole self to knowing him His greatest purpose, his greatest identity, his greatest being is this, committing his life to following after Jesus and then helping others to do the same. Right, years ago I was preaching um, from one of Paul's texts and he just says, I said over and over again that I'm a slave to Christ. And and I got done preaching the sermon and and as I was standing in the foyer of the church, um, an old gentleman came up to me and he said, you know, young man, that was an okay sermon. Okay, I guess it's better than an awful sermon. And he said, but you said something, you're just wrong. Said, okay, and so my head, I'm going, trying to think, what did I say? Because I probably could have said something that's wrong. But what did I say? And he goes, I'm not a slave. Okay. Like, I said, well, I mean, you know, Paul wrote those words. I didn't write that. Like, that is actually what the Bible said. I, did, I didn't make that one up. That, that was just me repeating what he said. And he said, if you committed to following Jesus and you choose to be a slave to Christ, he goes, I'm a free man. I'm not a slave. And he got mad and he walked away. And Okay, and I didn't really have a good response to that because honestly, like, what am I supposed to say? That's what Paul said. Jesus articulates other. We all serve someone or something, and so we are a slave to something. You are as well. The question is, in our freedom, what do we choose to be enslaved to? And you can get mad and you can walk off too. It won't be the first time, like I just said. But here's the problem for all of us. Do we really want total autonomy? Total control? Total freedom? 
What does that really get us? Does that lead to more peace or less? More purpose or more unrest? I can't reiterate this enough. We're all enslaved to something. We can choose to be enslaved to ourself, our ambitions, our addictions, or we can choose to be enslaved to Jesus. Now maybe you're asking this question, which is a reasonable question, why would I choose to be enslaved to Jesus? What if all human history is going somewhere? What if, what if there really is meaning and purpose in all of life? What if we can find that God is redeeming and restoring and making all things new? What if everything that has been broken in the world isn't, isn't the end? What if somehow God really is redeeming and restoring? And what if, from the beginning of history until today, until whenever time ends, God is at work taking all broken pieces and redeeming them and making them right? What if we find from the beginning of time that God has loved people? And what if we use the scriptures to kind of point that out, right? If I were to go back to the beginning and began in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? That's what the scripture said. In fact, what we find is these things happen in these several days. So the first three days of creation are all about things God separated out. You can go back and read Genesis 1 later if you want. But here's what happens. On day one, God separates out light and dark. Day two, God separates out sea and sky. Day three, God separates out dry land. So, you with me now? Day one, light and dark. Day two, sea and sky. Day three, dry land. So, Genesis 1 is also a theological framework for how God works throughout human history. Because now what happens next is he separates days one, two, and three. And then he fills on days four, five, and six. So, day four, he separated on day one, light and dark. Fills it with sun, moon, and stars. Day two, God separated out sea and sky. Day five, fills it with birds and fish. Day three, separates out dry land, fills it with plants, animals, people. So days one, two, and three, separation. Days four, five, and six, filling. And then we have day seven, we call Sabbath or blessing. So in other words, God separates something, he fills it, and then he sends it to be a blessing. Right, you with me? Now, keep that in mind as we kind of walk through the narrative of the Old Testament. Because what happens next is we see in Genesis chapter 12, we talked about just briefly last week, this call of Abram. Right? Abram's call in Genesis chapter 12. He says, Abraham, I will make you a blessing to bless the world. In other words, you will be blessed to be a blessing. And he makes this promise that, Abraham, your people will be a blessing to the world. And so we see this kind of thing. Abraham goes off and he does some weird stuff and like says this is his wife's sister and all kinds of things happen. And then eventually, though, the people end up in Egypt and they're enslaved. And for 400 years, they're crying out, longing for God to work in a way that they could know and understand and something could happen. And God calls Moses. He says, Moses, will you lead my people out of Egypt? Moses goes, ah, you know, I, I can't do that. I can't speak very well. I'm, I'm just not that eloquent. So long story short, Moses leads the people out of Egypt. God heard the cry of the oppressed, and he freed them. And not long are they into the wilderness, so they go, hey, you know, God, it was great what you did back there, but, like, this food is just not good. It is not good enough. And they begin to grumble against God over and over again. 
And then Moses is gone for a little while, and they're like, hey, we, we know we're going to have to worship something, and Moses has been gone for a really long time, and so we're going to worship something. We, we know that about human nature. We all worship something. And so um, Aaron kind of coerced by the people and also kind of like timidly says, well, hey, give me all your gold, and they make this golden calf, and Moses comes back down off this mountain, and, and there's this kind of weird scene where the, Moses goes, what happened? And Aaron's like, funny thing. We threw all the gold in the fire, and out came this golden calf. It's not how that ever works, by the way. And so we see the people, again, brought to freedom. And they choose oppression. Whether it be actual enslavement or they just worship the wrong things. And we see this cycle of brokenness over and over again among the people of Israel. Where they'll have glimpses where they're just faithful and they'll have glimpses where they're not. And eventually they say, hey, we want a king. And so they have this king and... Saul's the first king, and he kind of looks like a king. He's built like a king. He's tough like a king, um, but he's not a very good king. And you go from Saul to David, and David, a man after God's own heart. And we think, well, this will be the right king. And then David should be at war with his army instead. He's checking out other people's wives. Eventually has a man murdered, right? man after God's own heart. He's now living in a way that's counter to God's heart. And Solomon, the next king, you think, well, maybe Solomon will get it right. Maybe he'll be the right leader for this people. And Solomon, and he starts out right, he asks, God says, wait, what do you want? He goes, ah, just give me wisdom. Just give me wisdom. Wisdom's all I need. Great, great answer. Except we see at the end of Solomon's life, his many, many wives led him astray. And he was worshiping other gods. And then at Solomon's death, the kingdom, wise king, wasn't that wise? Kingdom splits in two, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And then again and again, a cycle repeats itself of empires coming in and taking over and enslaving the people. And so there's a silent period where for 400 years, they heard nothing. And people continued to cry out, long for God to speak, and long for God to do something. He does. He sends Jesus. And God comes to them unlike all the other kings or saviors of the world. He comes as an infant. What the people find is it's not what they long for, but here's what God had always desired to do. He always desired to separate out a people, to fill them and send them to be a blessing. Why? Because here's what we find. God always has desired to raise up a people. And Jesus comes to show them a new way, what it looks like to be God's unique people in the world. And here's why I think that matters so much. Peace is found in God's purpose. Peace is found in God's purpose. Purpose is found in God's love. Peace is found in God's purpose. Purpose is found in God's love. So Jesus comes into this. He's the one that Isaiah said will be called the Prince of Peace. And he comes with this new message that God has come to be among his people. That God never has been far off, but has always been near. And maybe just maybe you and I can live lives that are uniquely different. That we might find that when we would find true peace and true love when we follow Jesus. And this brings us back to Paul. 
Paul did not belong to himself any longer. He belonged to Jesus. Right? All of these words of William Barclay, these words have more to do with the idea of what it looks like for us to be people who are wrapped up in who God is. Um, he says this, Slave of Jesus Christ describes at one and the same time the obligation of a great love and a great office. Now, office would be like position if it's helpful. But what Barclay is trying to say is this, that to say you are a slave of Jesus is that you have come to know a great love, and by knowing that great love, you have found great purpose. Paul makes it clear that Jesus comes from that line of David that was mentioned long ago, that this kingdom will have no end. This kingdom is uniquely different. Paul invites you and I to come to know this one. He's willing to say, I'm a slave to this king. And he uses this phrase, kletos apostolos, which just means this, which means set apart for the gospel. What Paul says here is, I've been set apart for the gospel. But here's the crazy thing what Paul does. Paul says, hey, do you want to know what gives my life purpose? It's come to know the one that the scriptures have always revealed that says, hey, do you want to know what purpose looks like? It means to love God and love others in such a way that others are invited into his kingdom. But God calls his people to live uniquely different. Paul was set apart to share the good news that Jesus came to share. That God is not far off, but his kingdom has come. That you and I can enter into this kingdom here and now. We can live as people who are part of God's kingdom in this day, in this moment. We can know the depth of God's love and his peace. and We can live with his purpose. So what's that mean for you and I? You are set apart. You are set apart. You are uniquely gifted. You are uniquely gifted. You are uniquely positioned to proclaim the message of God's peace and his love. Right here, right now. Apostles are called out people, sent out people. You are that. Paul learned to know the people he went to, but here's the crazy thing. You and I are uniquely positioned to reach the people we already know. That coworker, that friend, that neighbor, that family member, we, we long for them to know who God is. The person most uniquely positioned to do that is you, not someone else. This is what you and I are called to. And you go, ah, I'm not good enough. Paul, whether he was a murderer or just a co-conspirator of murder, doesn't change the fact that his background was no, no worse than yours. And Paul was used incredibly by God to further the work of the church, to further the work of Jesus, to help people know, hey, there is no thing you can have done in this life, no broken part of you that cannot be redeemed or restored, no part of God who doesn't love you as you are, where you are, but he will change you. God says you are worthy because you are. 
because you are alive, because you exist. And what Paul says is this, that the Prince of Peace brought him peace, led to life, because he came to know the love of God. And you and I are invited to share that same thing, that good news that Jesus has already come and he continues to come. You and I are invited to live new lives here and now, and true peace is not found in ourself, and it's not going to be found on a self-help book or some show on Netflix. But it might just be found in the person of Jesus. And the reason we gather at Christmas is this, because we believe that true peace is found in choosing to be a slave to Jesus. Peace is found in God's purpose. Purpose is found in God's You and I are invited to know God's peace and his love here and now. And that love is not temporal, but eternal. From the beginning, God desired to separate out of people, to fill them and send them to be a blessing to the world. You and I are invited to be separated by God, but to be filled with his love and his peace and his mercy and his grace and to be sent out to share the same thing so that more people can be separated out, filled, and sent out. Right? Sometimes I think we love the idea that when he says to Abraham, you will be a great people. All right. We're a great people. They're not, but we are. No, 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 that's not what he says to Abraham. He says, I will separate you to be a blessing, to be blessed, to be a blessing to the world. In other words, I will fill you, I will separate you out so you can be a blessing to the world. Paul's testimony about who he used to be, Paul's testimony about how he was a, a murderer, only adds to the power of what God has done. Your story, your testimony, only adds to the power of what God has done and continues to do in your life. It's your story. Own it. Trust that God can redeem who you are and who you've been. Because verses 6 and 7, Paul writes here in Romans, are this. God came for all people, from all places, from all backgrounds, so they all may know that God loves the world. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God has come so that you and I can have life, abundantly life, here and now. And so God has called you. He's called me. He's separate out of people. He's filled them to be a blessing to the world. And so the question for you this Christmas season is, who do you need to be a blessing to? Who is God calling you to bless? Who is God calling you to share your story, your testimony about what God has done in your life and how he has transformed you who you are in him. Do you know the peace that comes from knowing him? Do you know his love? Peace is found in God's purpose. Purpose is found in God's love. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you today and we ask that you might help us to become more and more unique, your unique people that you might help us to look like your son more and more all that we say and do. So Father, we ask this morning that you might help us to 
to know what our purpose is in life. To find our identity and our hope in you. If we're wrestling with where we find our identity and our purpose or our meaning, that we'd recognize if it's just found in ourselves, then we become a slave to ourselves, and that can be changed by how we feel differently or how we think differently one day or what we do differently. But may we find our hope in the center of which we find our being outside of ourselves. May ultimately we find that in you. And so, Father, it's our hope and our prayer this day that we would find our greatest identity and our greatest purpose and our greatest strength in knowing your Son. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to live lives that really would transform the world, really would help us to come to know the love that your Son teaches us of and invites us to know. And so, Father, we pray all of these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.